that's one of the biggest pieces of, of advice that I can give just to the general population who are considering their uh, financial picture is you first need to be honest with yourself and you first have to be willing to divulge all of the pieces to the puzzle. Without that, you're going to miss out. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to episode seven of the Life Lab podcast. It's finally spring, so we hope you're enjoying the feeling of new beginnings and hope leading into the rest of the year. As always, your co-hosts are locked in. We're super excited. I'm here with my guy, Will Dorns, and my name is Everett Adams. Wanted to give a quick shout-out to some real friends who suggested we improve our audio. You know who you are. We appreciate that so much. It'll help us evolve and create something better for you and for everybody else who decides to listen. We're super excited to have a chat with Andrew Trepto, all-around good guy in front of the podcast by way of working with Will in business development at Amazon Web Services here in Seattle. We thought Andrew would have some good insights as he's a former certified financial advisor. He was super generous with his time, some personal stories, and opinions around personal finance, succession, and health. He's got a cool background as a collegiate hockey player, which added some interesting perspective as well. I know Will and I personally learned some stuff. We definitely had a good time and had some laughs. Hopefully you will too. Enjoy. We are live in the lab now. Let's go! Welcome, Andrew. Do you want to do that uh, little rundown again? Just kind of let us know. Yeah, why I'm here. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Thank you, Everett. Thank you, Will, for having me here. Um, reason why I'm here is, uh, well, for one, Will and I work together at AWS, and I'm constantly ranting about something, but uh, I do have some pretty good nuggets when it uh, surrounds uh, financial services and health and wealth. Uh, so previously uh, to working at Amazon, I worked for a very large financial services firm. Uh, it's the wealth management arm of a massive bank here in the States. And I was uh, fortunate enough to gain a lot of experience uh, surrounding what it takes to build financial success. And so I've applied that to my everyday life. And it's uh, one of those subjects that I feel like our generation especially uh, has a very difficult time with. Uh, it is definitely considered taboo, um, general conception. Uh, when it comes to wealth and health is that they are the two most personal subjects that a human being can uh, talk about. So naturally, like it's that. one of the most lied about subjects. So <laughs> with that, yeah. thank you again, guys, for having me. I like that. Wealth and health. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Uh, you were, a, were you a certified financial planner? Or I was a uh, financial advisor, yes. Yeah. So advisor. what that entails, so obviously... Um, you have to go through a certification route um, and what that requires you to do is get your series seven and that allows you to buy and sell securities legally and then your series 66 um, and that's what really rounds you out as a financial advisor so it's the series 66 allows you to actually legally give financial advice and so that combination is what a true financial advisor um, will have interesting how like I want to tell our stories that we that we have that are just we'll, we'll get to those we'll get to them. Yeah. But what like how like how did you get into that field? Like what what how did you get there? Like, That's a great question. Um, I used to studied political science and business at school, so I wasn't looking to go down the financial services route. And we'll get real deep real quick um, with this particular topic. Uh, my father was a very prominent attorney up in Alaska growing up and uh, unfortunately lost him to cancer. And in the aftermath of it all, 
we saw that there was virtually no financial planning. There was, mm. there was no wealth management strategy in place. And, um, that's what really sparked my interest in the subject. And then it just by happenstance as things do happen in life, I was at the gym with my little brother and uh, my little brother and I were- brother who's eight minutes younger than you? No, not that one. Oh. Okay. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> so for the audience, I do have another brother who is uh, 14 months younger than me, but we were at the gym and Alaska is a small place uh, in terms of population. And so people tend to uh, know who you are. And especially through our, our hockey achievements growing up, uh, one of our uh, younger teammates, his father, was a pretty prominent wealth manager in Alaska and just approached uh, me and my brother about the idea of what we might think of pursuing financial advisory as a uh, career. And so I really took hold and I went through everything I possibly could. And I was able to sit for my Series 7 and 66 through, of course, firm sponsorship. That's key. You've got to be with a financial yeah. services company in order to sit for those examinations. Uh, don't quote me on that, listeners. That could have changed since I uh, uh, <laughs> left the, the industry. Good call. Um, but, and I should uh, make the disclaimer real quick that uh, every piece of financial advice I'm giving is expressly my own and is not representative of any of the financial institutions that I've worked for previously. So... Don't go out there trying to bash me on what I've said. Ever not give advice all the time. We always say take it at your own risk. Yeah, yeah. take it at your own yeah. risk. But that is good though. It's interesting. All the other like investing podcasts that I listen to, they say that at the beginning, like no matter how big or small they are, they're like, We are not your advisor. Yeah. And you kinda laugh, but it's like you never know. Yeah. Right, it's right. A good call. And I'm not gonna be sitting here pitching any type of products. I mean, there's just yeah. there's no sense in that. Um, I think one of the really important things about your financial health is to do your own research. I mean, it's fa absolutely fantastic to bring in that professional, and I think that it's a crucial part, but you need to be able to keep them accountable too, and the only way to do that is by researching it yourself. Understand fee structures when it comes to different retirement vehicles. I mean, there are so many things, there's so many layers to what it takes to actually have a successful financial plan in place. That's a good point. I want to I touch on that um, in a little bit, but I want to also asked, did you have any sort of money habits growing up that your parents instilled in you that made it easier for you or made you interested in, in finance to start there? Or was it always just, were you interested when um, that other person came into your life and brought that up? You know, looking back, I would say that the that what really um, made me conscious of it was just their, their spending habits, right? Yeah. And I always was fascinated with where money came from. It's like, how were we able to do this? How were we able to do that? Whether it was a vacation or a family dinner or the purchase of a, a car in the family, how were these events able to happen and how were they being financed? And so that's where I really kind of got hooked on early on. And then um, something that really started to make the wheels turn in my head was the conversations that my parents were not having in front of us. You know, the difficulties that were arising, the uh, fact that two of the three kids were playing competitive hockey at a high level that required a great deal of travel. And unbeknownst to me, just the financial pressure that that put the family under, even with a high, high earning individual like my father. And so when I'm able to look back now, I have a complete picture, but growing up, I, I was always trying to put the pieces together and I couldn't really seem to do it. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's for, for 
most people. How old were you when your when your dad passed away and you yeah realized what you realized? So that was 2014. So we're going on five years ago. I'm 29 now. I had just turned 25 when he passed away. Okay. So and where was that in your journey in the financial services? That was pre pre right before. Yeah. So that was uh, really the launching point of what made me go down that pathway, and uh, it was uh, consequently it was it was actually the week prior to him passing. And so um, I started on with a company called Edward Jones and they're based out of St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And so I was really excited to tell my dad about that because he went to the University of Washington in St. Louis and there, Mm -hmm. right there in St. Louis, he did his undergrad and his his JD there. So this was a time when he was at his absolute um, sickest and it was a terminal diagnosis at this point. So I was, of course, looking for anything and everything that I could to try and bring his spirits up. And yeah. so that was uh, right when that happened. And, and then after he passed away, I was still um, working at Nordstrom as my essentially post-college job uh, that I took in order to be back home in the yeah. first place. Wow. That's incredible timing. Yeah. I mean, they they say... and. By they, I, I guess I speak more broadly about the universe. I mean, the universe is always just kind of making things happen as they should. And so, uh, it, you know, you can look back and say that it all happened for a reason. Obviously, I think that it is uh, a really tough stick. And it's something that I wish that I could go back and and not have to have gone through. But, of course, you have to take those teachings with you. And, and for me... Uh, it really allowed me to become extremely independent in my own life and it, it, it really helped me grow up even faster than I was anticipating. And then, of course, it gave me this pretty deep uh, bench of knowledge when it came to uh, finance. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that um, and bring that up because I think, uh, so my uncle passed away uh, three years ago um, and he had no will, absolutely nothing, like, no passwords. He had a safe with, he lived in Montana. He was a mountain man. He had all these like really nice guns, walk like random stuff. And we were like, we literally had to bring in some way to hack into the lock because nobody knew how to get into it. And, like it was all stuff. And it was like really hard as like a family to go through that. Not only are you dealing with like the grieving of like losing a family member, but then you're also dealing with like the difficulty of having to put together like the finances of that. And I think that's something that, I think I learned going through that experience and seeing my my dad's side of the family go through that was it's it's definitely a hard thing to do, but like put those like life things together so that if anything happens, those people who are still like around can it's it makes it easy for them. Right. And you bring up a great point there. Succession of wealth is massively important. It is something that is very commonly overlooked because tragedies strikes at inopportune times. Um, it takes a lot to be able to put the the pen to the paper and actually formalize what that succession of wealth process looks like. And you bring up a will. That is obviously a very common um, method of being able to legally articulate uh, where these uh, the assets need to be dispensed to. And it is crucially important in an overall wealth management plan. And so... Yeah, that was something that I went through myself. Um, that my dad didn't have a will; it was just a life insurance policy, and everything was more or less just said, "Hey, uh, you know, 
mom, you're going to handle it and we'll go from there. But in terms of assets, uh, there, there really wasn't anything there, which was a wild thing to, uh, to come to grips with yeah. as a 25 year old and, and somebody who had had extremely successful career. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, financially, at least uh, there was, there was nothing there, but of course, the man was much, much bigger than, you know, dollars and cents in a bank account. Yeah. I mean, he, uh, he, he made his impact in so many other ways than financially. And so I realized that, you know, I, I was taught this lesson for a reason and that it, it was something that I needed to carry on. And it was something that I felt that I should be able to pass along to people that came, I came across in my life. And then I, at a time, thought that that was something that I wanted to do professionally to where I was uh, able to build out wealth management strategies for the everyday person. Um, the clients that I dealt with back uh, when I was actually practicing were, uh, they ranged dramatically. It could be anyone from losing their job, right? And their 401k was held with Bank of America and then moved over to the Merrill Lynch side of things and wealth management to somebody who had already had a very nice wealth management strategy in place, um, but were more do-it-yourselfer. And so having those conversations uh, for a time was, was, was very rewarding. But one of the things that I think is really important to bring up here is uh, expectations. And it truly was a relationship and expect expectation setting um, business. And as we alluded to earlier in the podcast, your health and your wealth, people never want to give you the, the full picture. And so that made it really difficult for me. I was constantly missing bits and pieces that would turn out to be very important bits and pieces of somebody's financial picture. And so um, generally when you're really starting to supplement your say employer sponsored plan. So for all those listening, employer sponsored plan would most normally be a pension or a 401k, most commonly 401k these days. And it's extremely important to supplement that. And in order to do that though, you have to have a number of pieces already in play. You need to have emergency savings, which is usually three to six months of uh, your living expenses uh, kind of tucked away in the event of you know, something like 2008 when the market absolutely takes a gigantic dump and you're left uh, in a very precarious situation. So that's a huge part of it is just having those savings to fall back on, right? And then of course, you need to be cash flow positive. I mean, that's probably one of the most important things unless of course there are periods throughout your year when you experience influxes of cash um, and then you can apply that to your uh, your everyday bills and your living situations, your debts, and then you could say make a larger contribution to a uh, retirement vehicle like a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA. Um, but of course, when you're dealing with people, the equation never quite adds up the way that you want it, right? There's so many variables. And so what you would find a lot of the times is that they would paint you this nice picture of what they wanted it to be, but it wasn't actually what was happening. And so I was constantly having to field calls from my clients saying, hey, you know, I'm running into a bit of a sticky situation here and I need to withdraw from my IRA. Well, you can't do that. There, I mean, you can, of course. Uh, I'm not going to, I can't stop you, but there, of course, is a taxation 
that is imposed on that. It's 10% just boom, right off the bat. doesn't matter how much your money you're taking out. You're just losing 10% straight to the IRS for early withdrawal. You, um, and that was such a battle for me. And I was just like, you know what? This is really starting to get under my skin. And so eventually it just came down to me not being happy in my, uh, my practice there. And then me learning just so much about the wealth management space that I felt that I could apply it to my own life and really elevate myself. And then the, the people that I come into contact yeah. with and I, and I was okay with that. I was okay with abandoning the greater mission, um, because it was taking away from my overall health. You know, that's something that, uh, is a part of your, your, your health and wealth picture too, right? Is just what you're doing on a daily basis in order to feed into those, those, uh, investments into your financial picture. And you have to make sure that you're in balance. How, well, that's pretty amazing perspective considering how young you are and we are in general. How old are you? 29. How, what is the picture that people aren't telling you and are they doing that to save face with you or are they doing like, why, what was the main reason? What were some of the, the, the reasons that people were doing that and how do you think people can like overcome that? Sure. Whether, whether they're either talking to a financial advisor like, like you used to be or just with their significant other or just even if they're just by themselves and they're just trying to have a real view of their own finances. I would almost imagine that they were, weren't being honest with themselves. I mean, yeah, every you're, them to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, you really, you really hit the nail on the head there. It's it, it's the inability to be honest with themselves, and then of course there's there's shame, there's embarrassment that goes along with it, especially when you're talking to individuals who are in career transitions or they're at the later stages in their life, and they're. There's nothing to show for it, financially at least. You know, they they could have a wonderful body of work, right? But I wasn't getting to see that picture. All I was seeing were dollars and cents, and the fact was there wasn't much to be had, right? And so they want you to be able to think highly of them. That was my general perception, and that's the general my general perception of people. Is people want to be liked. People want to feel like what they're doing more or less is the right thing, and so. Um, when it came to having conversations with more or less a complete stranger, myself and then the client included, um, it, it was definitely harder for them to open up. And so that's one of the biggest pieces of uh, advice that I can give just to the general population who are considering their uh, financial picture is you first need to be honest with yourself and you first have to be willing to divulge all of the pieces to the puzzle. Without that, you're going to miss out straight up. That's as simply as I can put it. You will miss out on some great pieces to the plan if you're unwilling to be forthcoming in your entire picture. And so I think that that's just crucial is honesty is the best policy when it comes to working with a financial professional. And then of course, uh, there are so many great platforms these days where you can do it yourself. But once again, that requires you to be honest with yourself. So if you can start working on that, um, that's huge. And one of the best ways to do that is to track your spending. There's so many great apps out there. I don't need to give any plugs. I mean, the app store is its own ranking system and it's, it's fairly accurate. Um, but personally, I'm a big believer in 
plugging in all of the credit cards that you have, making sure that you're seeing the inflows and the outflows, um, taking a look at your spending habits. Any major bank that you're able to bank with in the United States has some type of platform integrated into the mobile banking or the online banking where you can see all of your spending categories. Take advantage of this. Look at every bit and piece. It's so important. Make sure that your subscription services, that you're very well aware of what you have on and what you have off. That's huge. I mean, those are those may seem insignificant in the moment. Can't I mean what is a you know a streaming service cost yeah, these days? Anywhere from ten bucks to fourteen bucks adds up. Yeah. I mean, it, it's all compounding over and over and over and over. And so those are things that you can actually use in this day and age. This is something that we didn't have available to us growing up were um, these discount, discount brokerage platforms where you essentially experience no fees whatsoever and you can contribute as little or as much as you want and you can put these dollars and cents to work in a way that you we haven't ever been able to in, in human history prior to this. Usually... You know, the traditional investing model is that there was some type of uh, asset um, requirement that you needed to bring to the table in order for the financial professional to bring you on as a client. But that's, yeah, exactly. And of course, there's still fantastic platforms out there that that have these minimums, but they're they're meant for higher net worth individuals. And so, as you can imagine, um, these services kind of go hand in hand with what you're able to bring to the table as well, because... Uh, a wealth manager who is dealing with uh, high net worth individuals is a special kind of individual, right? They are highly qualified. And just as you're working up through your career, these people have done that already and they are at the top of their game. And so uh, with expertise comes a premium and you need to understand that in the, in the world of investing. Um, but that being said, it's fantastic to start your journey out with minimal fees and you get to experience this fantastic kind of linear experience of graduating up and and seeing all of the different investment products that are made available to you as you go and you get to build off of those where do you so you you said this earlier too there's a lot of places to start in the world of Mm -hmm. finance there's a lot of places you can go um where do you if someone just first starting out to like get a picture of their finances how, where do you have them start out and like yeah. what would be like kind of the next steps? Yeah, great question. I would say, generally speaking, start out with your bank. Understand what your bank offers in terms of wealth management. The big ones out there, I mean, if you bank with Chase, you're going to have your wealth manager will be JP Morgan. If you bank with Bank of America, you have the option to go with Merrill, previously called Merrill Edge, discount, discount brokerage platform, or Merrill Lynch, the much larger wealth manager associated to Bank of America. Wells Fargo has Wells Fargo Advisories. Um, all of the, the big ones in the in the United States have some type of wealth management arm. Take advantage of that. I was a big believer and still am a big believer of trying to keep things under one umbrella as much as possible. Of course, I would, I would agree with you. right. And, and of course, as your financial situation changes in life, you'll find that that principle isn't always applicable, right? Uh, higher net and higher net worth individuals tend to diversify their banking as well as their investments. But of course, we're at very early stages in our life, and if you're already at that stage, bravo! Yeah, this probably you. is uh, not news to you, and is uh, I'm not exactly the uh, the right mouthpiece uh, to give you uh, information you clearly already have. If you're at that, but I think what you said is important, and I think is that 
until like my personal like money journey was like I didn't ever and I have talked about this a little bit so I didn't know anything about money my dad like my dad was a huge Schwab mm-hmm. so he brought me to Schwab meetings when I was like 10 years old and I'd be like I don't even know what's going on but like I'm in these meetings um, but I still had no idea until like probably three or four years ago like anything to do with money no idea what retirement accounts were what I literally had no idea and I didn't even know where to start and I started educating myself by like listening to podcasts I'm like okay yeah. just start reading listening um, understanding the basics of like what your own accounts are and then like start from there and then once you kind of have an understanding of like your own wealth then you can start to build off of that and understanding where to make where you should invest and put your money and how you should manage your <clears throat> saving and all that kind of stuff. It's funny you mentioned that uh, meeting at ten years old. That almost feels like a like a routine, like all kids go through, but it doesn't go past that with yeah. their parents. Everyone's like, "Let's go get you your bank account. We'll put like twenty bucks in it and like whatever." But I don't think you hear about many people going back after that or those conversations really continuing. You know, yeah. you think that's common with everybody? I think it's so common. I think unless maybe you have a parent who's in the business who's like on you and maybe has a confidence and an education. To- yeah, and I mean, just you know, especially for us growing up, a lot of what's available today wasn't available back then, and so it was more uh, on the side of the traditional uh, financial advisor client type of relationship, where a certain level of assets was expected, and uh, and quite frankly, uh, it was something that a an advisor would just give you a hard stop on hey listen you might not be worth my time at this point but hey come back that of course is an outdated model right because there are so many things that you can do with your uh your hard-earned monies these days and um being able to put it to work especially in our capital markets is is one of the most prudent things that you can do i mean uh you go from 2008 to now i mean we're experiencing a uh, an amazing run um but of course uh, there's a lot of risk that comes along with investing. And it's funny that we're just now getting to this. I should have prefaced the entire conversation uh, with uh, with investing, of course, comes risk. And that was another thing that I'm glad that we're back onto this, uh, this particular topic. That's another thing that people had a very difficult time articulating to me when I was wearing the financial advisor hat was their ability to take on risk. They were always so much more confident because... Generally, people invest in the good times. They don't invest in the bad times. And so they were much more confident than they were actually leading on. But you have to take a good, long look, hard look at what level of risk that you're willing to take on because your performance is directly correlated to that. And so if you're willing to take on more risk, then theoretically and in practice, you will experience more. Uh, a higher profit, right? And then conversely, a much lower uh, loss. Yeah. How do you think someone can figure out how tolerant they are with their risk? I think that's hard. I think it's hard to to do because everybody wants the upside of like mm-hmm. all the gains, and nobody wants all the downsides of like taking on less risk. But like, it's I think it's hard to like calculate mm-hmm. how much risk am I willing to take on? Is there any way to like do that? I, I don't. I don't know. This is where the research and the leveraging of financial professionals can certainly help you out, but more so the the research is the majority of wealth management platforms, um, any type of investment platform will have essentially a risk tolerance scale. So you'll actually kind of get to see historically what people have been able to uh, 
uh, take on in terms of the risk, whether you're extremely aggressive or if you're extremely conservative, right? And so you'll be able to see what those profits might look like, but conversely, what the gains will look like associated with each of those kind of um, risk tolerance state of minds, right? And so you can have a visual of that through uh, just about anything that you're utilizing to invest with, just about any one of those programs will have uh, some type of visualization behind that so you can kind of gauge where you're at. But that being said, that's a difficult thing to do because if you're on the extremely aggressive side, and of course I'm looking back at, at old charts, um, but you know you could experience anywhere between a 40% increase but a 38% decrease. Are you comfortable with losing 38% of your wealth? Yeah, that's where it really sits home, right? Of course, you would love to experience 40% gains. You're like, oh yeah, in an ideal world, right? <laughs> but are you okay with losing 38? And then on top of that, are you disciplined enough to either realize those losses or gains or to sit back and keep them as unrealized and go through the motions? And so that, I mean, that's an entirely different concept that you have to address too is your practices surrounding how you actually are interacting with those monies when they're actually invested. And that's a huge thing. And it's something that I tell my mom all the time when she calls me and freaks Emotions, out. Right? Yeah. yeah. She's a very emotional investor. And this is uh, described in what's called the odd lot theory. And the odd lot theory is that generally retail investors, everyday investors, will buy high and sell low, which of course is the exact opposite of what a prudent investor would do, right? The, the goal is to buy low and sell high, thus realizing your wonderful gain. But generally, uh, retail investors do not um, practice that. And so they are usually selling when the market is down and thus realizing a loss. And then they'll do the exact same thing when the market's up. They're like, oh yeah, I'm gonna get back in. I'm gonna buy high now, and so you're just like, oh. is that why? Is that why they say like index funds have traditionally outperformed like active managers? That is a that is a uh, a pretty good generalization. I would say is that it's more the concept of hands off, right? Yeah. Uh, active management usually entails some individual usually being the the investor themselves interfering with the process. And so you, of course, have pretty great control as a financial advisor, or at least you think you do, until your clients start calling your phone every two seconds oh, because they're scared. And that's a huge thing is you have to be able to manage your emotions. And so, yes, when when you have things like index funds uh, or, or, or just institutional investing, uh, it's totally different because the emotion is so much more removed. Was that a big part of your job, actually managing these emotions? A hundred percent. I mean, that was such a huge part of it. It's it was it was quite frankly, it was amazing to me. And I was it's young. I mean, I still am young, and I'm dealing with people in their forties and fifties just losing their mind, losing their mind about a down day in the market, and absolutely panicking. Sell it all. I don't want to deal with this. I want to be out of the market. I want to be liquid again. And for listeners, of course, liquid means that it would be back into USD as opposed to actually being invested. Um, and so they would just call me panicking. And then, of course, that was where I had to really step in 
and manage those emotions and make sure that they were trusting in me. And so that was another huge component was establishing credibility and really gaining that trust of the client. That's how you were able to, to move the needle forward. That's how you were able to talk them off the ledge, so to speak. Were you surprised at how emotional it was when you got started? Did you get better at handling that? Yeah, I was, I was quite surprised. But then again, I had the, the financial education of going through the, uh, the, my licenses and, and just diving in headfirst and doing all this research myself. I was at an advantage. And so, of course, I was a bit shocked at when I was first dealing with people. I'm like, wow, Andrew, you really got to put yourself in check and understand that they are coming to you for a reason. You're the financial professional for a reason. You're the one who's taking on this knowledge. They have the knowledge for what they need to do in their life and they're coming to you. And so you need to be able to utilize that to steer them in the right direction. Um, but of course, it didn't always work. And so that was that was a tough pill to swallow was when it you felt like a failure as an advisor when somebody would just pull out of the market and they would say that it was your fault and that you should have seen this coming and the blame game was non-stop non-stop and of course it's something that you just takes a toll on you for sure yeah you, you get beat up it's like you can't tell them you know they're gonna go somewhere else and do the same thing yeah you're probably thinking that right like oh yeah they would try to play that card all the time too i'm gonna go elsewhere i'm gonna go to this institution that institution because they say they do this they say they do that this institution will give me a refund on my fees if they don't experience a performance which i find quite frankly laughable but you know once again my own opinion uh that's a pretty bold claim to make and uh it's uh, it's a bit silly because you need to take a step back and uh and and look at what you're guaranteeing people you're more or less trying to guarantee performance which of course is is impossible you know and then something that you know i i hope i hope i don't butcher this but something that i felt was one of my good tools in order to instill a bit of calm and set expectations with uh, clients was, you know, hey, past results are not indicative of future performance. So yeah, you can look at historicals all day long. You can look at all these great charts and there's so many different analytical platforms out there that you can utilize to research and it will paint you a nice picture. But of course you can't utilize that in order to say that something is going to be a guaranteed winner down the road. It's it's the first day of March Madness. <laughs> and, and spring. And spring. So hope is in the air. You leave. Um, and it's like looking at, at your March Madness bracket, mm. looking at team's last 10 wins, and you're like, oh, yeah, they won their last 10 games. They're for sure. Or they won their last, like, 8 of 10 games. They're luck. They're for sure going to win, like, the whole tournament. Or they're sure going to go deep in the tournament. It's like, no, that's not. Hey, man, that worked for me with UConn a few years ago, and Kemba Walker yeah. went on that tear. Yeah. I won all my brackets that year. You were savage. <laughs> I crushed it. That was one of the most insane, like, cardiac streaks. That was so incredible. Ever. I still get pumped up. But, Will, you bring up a great point there, too, is you'll sit there, and you're filling out your bracket, right? And you're just like, oh, yeah, Murray State, no chance. Marquette's going to yeah. take them, right? You know, it's the 5 seed versus the 12 seed. Yeah. And you're sitting there comparing schedules and and overall wins and loss and then the upset happens the upset happens did that guy have a triple double today from murray state yeah no way yeah first since draymond green which is always come get your sports news here as well yeah yeah here we go uh interesting though 
back on the topic of your clients, I just want to clear this up. It kind of sounded like the lack of honesty from people got in the way of your performance in, in some realm. Did that end up being like a big part of the reason why you left? Or was that, did I understand that was like one of the main reasons you're like, I'm out of here because the people that I'm working with aren't even kind of letting me do my job? Yeah, you know, and it's, of course, I, I had to do a lot of, of introspective searching, right? And I had to tell, ask myself if I was really doing what I wanted to do in life. So that was a part of it, but you really bring up a great point. And it was that that feeling of constantly being beaten up. You know, there's only so much individuals can take, right? And we're tougher in some aspects of our life uh, than we are of others. And so that was really a difficult thing for me to go through on a daily basis. I would I would tell my girlfriend that it felt like I was getting in a fight every day. It, it, it was just like I would wake up in the morning and I knew that I was gonna get punched in the face. But it was like when it would happen, I didn't yeah. know. And then maybe I would get in a bunch of really good jabs or what happened. <laughs> I, I feel like I, I was taking control of the fight oh, and I man. was just leading the charge, right? Um, and it was it like every day I felt that way. And it really was because of that relationship management and that lack of honesty. And, you know, I just, if we're trying to make any point at all here um, with this, it's that just you have to live your life honestly and especially when it comes to your finances be honest with yourself be honest with the the people around you um lack of transparency ultimately is going to lead to your demise so i've got an interesting yeah, go thought do you guys like the the quote um um was it how you do anything is how you do everything do you guys subscribe yeah. to that at all i mean yeah. I, I kind of do I'm curious if you at any point kind of developed maybe an opinion that there was a link between someone's physical health and their financial health. Like, did, do you know when someone's walking in and they're really fit, maybe they dress themselves really well, you can infer some things about their finances sure. versus someone who's out of shape and you're maybe thinking they're sloppy in their nutrition and their activity, maybe other things are the same way. Am Some I crazy for you're. I, I don't think you're crazy at all for thinking that. And and you know to answer it honestly, sometimes that was the case, and sometimes it definitely wasn't. Sure. Yeah. Um, I didn't actually uh, practice uh, financial advising in Alaska, but that is one of those places where it's super difficult because you've got essentially the millionaire next door, and they're wearing Carhartts and a oh, yeah. flannel. Yeah. And they don't look put together, but they're prudent. The they're bank. prudent investors. They're extremely disciplined, and they were applying it to maybe only one part of their life, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes, though, you bring up another good one: is somebody would come in and they would be extremely polished, and you would like, yeah. General perception is this person has their stuff together. Not the case. So you definitely had to control those unconscious biases. Right? You really had to allow them to sit down and start to develop that rapport. And you really had to ask those probing questions and not take everything at face value. And really have to dive deep uh, to steal one of our Amazon leadership <laughs> principles. But that Diving was... Diving deep? Yeah. Is that a deep, principle? Dive deep. Principle. Okay. That's, a, that's a big one. But that was a big one as, a, as an advisor too. Is You really had to continue to ask, what else? What else? 
That was a that was a phrase and a question that I was using. I would say more than anything because you would uncover something great and you're like, all right, I'm getting a nice picture. What else? And then they'd be like, oh, well, now that you mention, and then they would give you another piece. But you had to extract that. They weren't necessarily volunteering the information, um, which is something that you can't really prepare yourself for uh, when you're going into it, right? You, you, you would expect if somebody's going to pay for your services that they're going to want to put everything on the table. Not the case. Yeah, it's kind of weird because you're not you're not thinking about that. You're just like, I want you to help make me money. Mm-hmm. You're not thinking of how important of a pillar it is to go in there and be like, I'm actually ready to share everything with this person. Yeah, self-reflection. Who maybe I don't even know. Maybe I was referred to. Maybe I wasn't. You know, maybe it's intimidating to walk, walk into some huge firm with some name that you've heard about. Yeah. And you've got some inference about that. Like... That's a that's a that's a it, that's a huge takeaway I think for this episode to for people to think about. If you want to go get help, step one is like lay it out on the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's step one. Not the idea like this person's gonna take care of me and make me money, right? Because you can't do that until you do this. And I think I think another interesting point about this is, and I think you brought this up at some point earlier, is honesty with other people in your life, whether that be your family. Or like significant others, where your where money is a conversation that needs to happen, uh, and if you're on, and I think mer- uh, mo- the most reason that there's divorces is because of money, and I think most likely a lot of that is because of distrust with money um, and not being honest about the financial things that are going on. Maybe someone's hiding someone from something, maybe not. Maybe they're lying. I don't know, but I think that's a big thing is being honest with each other's finances. Yeah. Is that a stat you just said? Yeah. What was it? Uh, the biggest reason for divorce is money. Money-related issues? Money-related issues. I didn't issues. know that. Well, that's, I mean, it's hugely important, too, when uh, you're looking at the uh, the the scope and the scale of, of your, your financial picture, especially when you're in a uh, relationship. Um, I personally was always a proponent of having separate bank accounts and to make sure that everybody felt like they were doing their own thing, that they had some independence there, right? And that it wasn't always coming from one pot because there tended to be a stigma that surrounded like that type of relationship to where somebody may be contributing more, somebody may be contributing less. And you you really didn't want people to feel like that when it came because then it can get into this kind of strange competitive type of environment and you didn't want that. And then you have people that start to feel maybe a little bit resentful towards their spouse or you have somebody who feels like because they are the larger earner that they get to make the decisions. And that was never something that I ever wanted to... um, Entertain. I never wanted somebody to say that they were going to lead the charge. If a, if a couple came in and was interacting with me together, they were equal partners in it. And that's the way I wanted to see it. And that was one of the expectations that I set. You know, it's like if, you know, if Joe or if Sally are calling me, I'm treating them as equals. And that was, that was crucial. But unfortunately, it's something that is not um, a common practice. Yeah, you bring up a really good point there. Um, and this is actually something that I wanted to bring up at some point is that I think a lot of people relate how much income they have to their value in life, whether that be intrinsically or extrinsically to like their partner or their family or their friends. Like, hey, I make this much money. 
this is this is the value that I bring to the world. Where I'm just like, if you were to take away your job and how much income you have, let's say we were just take away all the incomes that anyone has, and you were just doing your own job. Like, you bring your own value of your own experiences that you, that you could bring, and I think um, I don't want to say belittling, but I think it's assigning yourself a higher value because you make more than someone else. Mm-hmm. This is, it's not going to help that relationship in any way, shape, or form. Society puts a lot of pressure, uh, not only on on couples, but uh, on individuals, especially when it comes to the material goods. And of course, that's directly related to your financial situation. And it's always about who's got the newest this or that. Um, and people will take on extremely negative financial behaviors in order to, uh, you keep know, up with the keep up with the Joneses exactly. And so that's another huge part is is understanding your limitations and 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 coming to the realization that there are just things that you're not going to be able to keep up with. I mean, look at the world that we live in today, where you have um, social media influencers as a profession and a lucrative one at that. And if you're somebody that is consuming a great deal of social media, you're going to find it hard pressed to keep up and. One of the easiest things to do is to try is to pretend like you're in that realm of uh, of earnings and that you are able to actually afford those things, and so living within your means is 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 amazingly important. So but it's difficult point. to put in practice. That's another good point. That's something that I wanted to ask you at the actually at the very beginning is, what are some of, like the habits that that you learned and that you've employed in your life, and also that you saw where they be high wealth individuals or they, they're just like the average person. What were the habits that they did that allowed them to be successful financially? Yeah, no, that's a... Some ba- some really basic habits that people can just apply to their, their lives on a daily basis. Uh, what I would find from clients who were, were very successful is they were uh, extremely aware of what their inflows and outflows look like and they were cash flow positive four days you know they had it so well so well they had their life so well budgeted that they they knew exactly what was coming in and what was going out on a daily basis and so of course budgeting is 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 of huge importance um and then also the successful individuals they they knew where they could indulge and then where they should pull back right it was always kind of a give and a take right so if you found that you were somebody that really enjoyed travel Usually, you need to employ some compromise and you need to say, okay, well, if I'm somebody who really enjoys travel, that's one of the uh, higher ticket items in uh, this day and age. Um, But you would see the successful people subtracting from other areas in their life in order to make sure that they had what they need to do that. And that's that's fantastic. That that's that's all that I could ask for, right? Because everybody has different drivers. You know, some people want a boat, some people want to go to Bali. Some people just want to buy nice clothes. Some people just want to eat out for dinner every day or go and be seen and go and buy drinks for the boys. You know, it, it, it's everybody has their different motivators. So it's, uh, it, yeah, that was uh, what I would see from the successful individuals is they had a very firm grasp of what motivated them and they they just knew how to uh, allocate funds uh, to the things that they found very important and then detract from those that were not as important to them but of course that's not negating the the everyday bills right you know 
staying out of debt is massively important and something that, of course, our generation knows very little of because we were just handed all of this debt because we were told that we had to go to school. We had to graduate from a semi-prestigious institution, right, in order to get these high-paying jobs. And so society puts a great deal of pressure on us. And so managing debt is then another massive component to it. And there are certain things that you, you know, you look at your your college uh, education as hopefully as an investment. Uh, it's something that seems to be difficult to see a, a sizable ROI on in these these days because the cost of education is so expensive. Um, but when you look at things personally, you know, the personal debt that you take on voluntarily, like taking a credit card, for instance, and not understanding what the APR and the interest rates are associated with those in spending and spending and spending and then holding those balances. And then you realize, man, I'm now paying $200 a month on a card and my interest rate that I'm being charged is $170, $180. And so in reality, you're only making $30 in payments every damn month and you're paying $200 out of pocket and you're only taking 30 bucks off the principal because the interest rates are so high. And so the successful individuals were very well aware that they needed to keep more or less a zero balance on especially high interest rate credit cards. Uh, that's something, of course, uh, that you will slowly move away from as you start to really um, formalize your financial uh, planning. Yeah, right. You'll, 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 you'll establish that credit over the years. And you will find that you will actually be able to call up your credit card company and say, hey, I'm sick of paying this interest rate. Let's talk about lowering my interest rate. They're very receptive to those conversations, especially when you've proven that you have a strong credit history to back that up. And then, of course, uh, there's so many great tools that you can use, like NerdWallet, uh, the Points Guy. There's all these great tools now that we have at our disposal to be able to understand like, what cards that you can actually use in your life to enhance your uh, your um, financial picture. And you start to learn about all of the points and you start to understand how to spend responsibly using those debt instruments. Yeah. I use I use Minted a lot mm -hmm. for like tracking everything. <laughs> um, I found that really valuable, at least for just keeping track of like, because you, you put in like your own budgets for like, um, specific things that you want to spend for and then it just automatically does that for you it just pulls it from the credit card just hey this is this is what it's spending is yeah. allocated to that budget and you're like oh shit i went way over budget this month or i was way under budget visualization this month. though it's visual yeah. it's visualization you're able to actually feel that right yeah. and it's we do it so much less in this day and age with technology right you're, you're dealing so much less with hard currency so it's not like the actual you know opening of your wallet and then taking it's out a hundred it's just it's 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 digits on a screen and so these new visualization aids are are fantastic to really send the message home like wow this is where that is going i need to pull back or i need to contribute more Mint's cool. They'll send you little notifications. Yeah. You spent too oh, yeah. much on food last week. Yeah. Like, oh, let me take oh, a look. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely, I've definitely seen a good amount of those in the good way and the bad way. I think it's funny what you, what you said about, um, travel and then making a sacrifice to plan for that. Mm -hmm. I definitely do that. I will, I'll look at a week like, man, I've got a lot of plans to go out next week. Like I need to eat 
at home, like yeah. you can do that at all scales, right? Big scales, little scales, and it makes a difference, I think. That's a good point, dude, because I like subconsciously do that too. So Jen and I, we went to like totally randomly, went to Tacoma, met up with a friend, um, and ate out like six meals in a row when we were not planning to do that at all because we had zero plans for the weekend, so it was fully just impromptu. It was like, I was like, this upcoming weekend, we're doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I gotta pull back. But those are the trade-offs that you make in life, yeah. right? And so, it, it being conscious of those is, is massively important to to get yourself ahead. And then, the this kind of brings us into the conversation surrounding well, what happens when I'm cash flow positive? Well, do I just let it sit? Absolutely not. I strongly advise yeah. against that, right? Um, there are, of course, different uh, things that you have at your disposal, just from purely from a banking perspective, that you can uh, experience very very minimal returns but that's more or less just parking your money um but now we kind of go into the subject of what we do when there are funds available um that we want to start to work for us right we're working on a daily basis to earn this money and then we just what sit there and look at it because it's some beautiful little picture and then you just end up uh spending it so employing that money in a meaningful way is 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 of course what my job was really all about other than the the managing the expectations and the emotions it was how do you effectively um, put that money to work and so the most common scenario that I would deal with of course is uh, an individual or client was uh, contributing to their 401k and you know say the employer matched just fantastic you know make sure that you're matching what your uh, employer contributes and then what do I do outside of that a lot of people don't even look at what their 401k is invested in and usually uh, and generally it is a what's a referred to as a target date fund and so target date funds will have an actual year associated with it and a lot of times like 2050 yeah, so course, yeah. the the goal behind these target date funds is that they'll start out a bit more aggressive and then they taper off to become more conservative towards uh, the maturing of that fund and ultimately when the uh, funds would then become available to you right and so ideally you're taking on less and less risk as the years go on that's not right for every situation so generally uh, what you need to apply to your investing strategies is your risk tolerance and your your time horizon and so time horizon isn't something that we've talked about yet but time horizon is massively important because it's essentially what time you have left between where you're currently at and when you intend on, uh, say, retiring as a, as a goal. Obviously, keep investing through retirement. I strongly <laughs> advise for that. Uh, that's hugely important. That's how people are able to stay wealthy through their years, and that's also how they uh, are able to have a strong succession of wealth plan in place as well. Um, but the risk tolerance and the time horizon is something that you need to be very conscious of because now you need to start thinking about customization. And so that's where you need to take on the supplemental investing accounts like, or retirement accounts in this uh, scenario, like your traditional IRAs uh, and then your Roth IRAs. And so these, uh, the differences between these two accounts, of course, is that they have income limitations. So Roth IRAs are great when you're starting out and then as your, your salary starts to increase, you're going to move into the more traditional model of the, uh, the retirement account. And so the beautiful thing about these supplemental accounts is they're completely customizable. 
So you can have a great mix of, of equities, of, of debt instruments. Uh, so that'd be your bonds, a uh, uh, very conservative part of a portfolio, but very necessary, right? Because it allows you to diversify your, yeah. your holdings. And so that's a hugely important. I think, an, I think an important thing here too is, and you touched on this earlier, is that keeping your money in as few places as possible from a management perspective is, is really valuable. So um, I worked at Redapt, then I worked at Rational Action, and then I, now I work at AWS. And when I started working at AWS, I took, I had my 401ks in both of those, and I took all of both of them out because I was like, I can't manage a 401k in like three different places. So I took, I took them out and put them all into my IRA. And now it's like, my IRA is like much bigger because of yeah. my 401k was just in that. But the investment options in there are so much better typically than like the average 401k is and then you're all then it's all in one place underneath my, my bank which is Schwab where I already have my other investments in so I have my retirement investments my IRA there and then I have my normal like investments and just money and the other part and so it's the management is so easy it is I, I highly recommend that that's the perfect example of educating yourself and not being a financial professional yourself. That was so well said, and it, and it's a it's a wonderful practice that you put in place, and it is exactly what I would advise an individual to do. Um, and you bring up a great point, right? So you're bringing everything together, but then you have to actually think about what those investments are made up of, and that's where you really start to scatter. That's where you really have to focus on diversification. So you brought everything together now, everything is working as a cohesive unit. Now it's, it's time to start thinking outside of the box and it's starting to think about the customization that's truly needed to be able to hedge against uh, the inevitable swings of our capital markets. And so it's, um, it's just hugely important for you to at least have a general understanding of the various sectors that you will find yourself investing in and you just definitely keep up with it. it. It's always great to, you know, especially if you're using a wealth manager, check in with them, get their take on things, put your mind at ease, uh, but of course do your own research. Um, and if you're doing it on your own, you know, make sure that you're taking into account how certain sectors work against um, one another and how certain sectors are massively more volatile than others. A perfect example in today's day and age is the technology sector, right? It is one of those things where you're like, wow, I could just, if I just ride the wave and I start investing in Amazon and Microsoft and Google and Micron and AMD and EA, even Disney is considered <laughs> a technology Shut company. Up. I'm laughing because, uh, so Everett and I used to work at Redapt and Redapt is a big, like, Everett still does. Yeah, Everett still does, yeah. Uh, and you work with a lot of those those partners, so it's just, it's, it just makes me laugh. Yeah, a little a little uh, you know competitive plug there, but that's the that's another amazing thing too is uh, you'll find yourself uh, if you're more on the um, automated side of things um, in terms of how your portfolios are made up, you'll find yourself wow I'm investing in things I actually use, and so that's another thing that you should definitely take into account are. Think about what you consume on a daily basis and whether it be your entertainment, your food, uh, your uh, different practices for, say, you know, your your health. I mean, think about those things that, uh, that really make you happy. And so that's another concept of 
investing where you can actually nowadays you can you can invest only in companies that you feel are making a good impact and so you know take that with a grain of salt though because we do still live in the unfortunate reality where um corporate america and the capitalistic mindset are still kind of the winners in the investing arena right and so sometimes uh, the the good guy doesn't always uh turn out to be the uh, the producer yeah. and the winner that you'd like it to be but of course um take those things into account when you're have fun with it like that's another huge thing that i should have mentioned before like have fun with it because it can be fun it it, it when you start to get really clicking with uh, where you're seeing your money go you'll start to become more active in its management and then you start to realize wow i'm making the decisions now i'm starting to see how everything fits together and that's was for me was was uh, a huge reward and a, and a very positive outcome to actually learning about how these investments worked with one another. To use Robinhood, we've talked about using Robinhood before, but that was kind of my first foray into like individual stock picking because mm-hmm. there was the no fees. And I was like, okay, yeah. um, this will be this will be something just like fun to do. Like yeah. that's exactly how it is. Like this is just kind of just like fun money. Yeah, so I personally don't use Robinhood, but that is a absolutely fantastic vehicle in order to uh, to put your money to work, right? And so generally, uh, stock picking is a very difficult thing to do. Um, it's uh, when you put everything together, it, it should only be a, pe- a, a kind of a piece, right? Um, and so it, if you have an extremely aggressive outlook, right, you would be in the 80 to t- 80% equity, 20% debt. Um, um, where you're not hedging uh, against risk all that much with only 20% of your assets and the more conservative vehicles. Um, but yeah, when you're over in the Robinhood space, I mean, that's a hundred percent equity, right? Mm-hmm. So it's all in a, a specific stock or specific stocks. And so, um, that is something that I have been fortunate enough to not necessarily move past, but I have my money's actively managed um, through my wealth management platform. And they have portfolio managers that are dedicated to not only stock picking, but then the the combination of ETFs and mutual funds and, and, and individual stocks within a given portfolio to, to make that happen. But no, those the, the apps like Robinhood or um, Merrill powered by Bank of America, uh, Charles Schwab, like that's a fantastic way for you just to, to get your feet wet and to start to put that money to work. Um, but of course, understand that with uh, choosing stocks come significant risk. And a lot of the times what you'll find is that you're exposing yourself to what's called business risk, where you're putting all of your eggs more or less in one basket by, say, purchasing, um, you know, five or $6,000 worth of Amazon stock, right? And then you're watching that in your Robinhood um, portfolio and you're experiencing the swings associated with that one particular stock. Whereas if you're more diversified, you can hedge against that, uh, that business risk. What's your take on investing in the marijuana business? That's actually a really interesting question. I have a good friend of mine who is, um, up in, uh, in Canada and is, uh, working for a, a well, well-renowned firm up there. And that's a, a targeted area of interest for a lot of the financial institutions and so personally I don't have a lot of background to go off of but it does seem like that is one of those um, 
early stage investments that if you're able to get on the ground floor, it can be uh, a pretty amazing windfall for you. But of course, I don't really have much of an opinion on it right now. And I wouldn't, I personally uh, don't have any of my monies tied up in it, but it's something that I would certainly consider. We've talked about it a little bit before. It's, we sure have. It's, uh, yeah. Interesting. It's really interesting. Especially given Washington State being like legal um, here, I think it's it's a lot more like top of mind just because it's in the news and in the conversations um, from that perspective. Versus if you were, I think if you were in a non-state, I wouldn't even really think about it to be honest. I might, I probably wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah, and it it, it certainly depends on how exposed you are to it in your your day-to-day life you know how, how are your friends and family affected by how do your friends and family use it to supplement their lifestyle you know are they using it to augment pain are they uh using it recreationally you know there's so many different use cases for it nowadays but i think what it all ties back to especially from an investment uh, perspective is whether or not the united states government at a federal level uh, is ever going yeah. to legalize it i think once or if that scenario arises, that's when you're going to see the formalization of, of, of these direct investments into uh, these marijuana-based businesses. Yeah. So it's, it's essentially a waiting game. And people are certainly parking their money there and hoping that they're on the ground floor, like I said earlier. Um, so it's certainly something that if you're willing to take on the risk, right, uh, that you could be handsomely rewarded or you could be destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> kind of seems like with anything, patience is the key in that one. You know, yeah. It's so early, if you're willing to just yeah. let it sit and not stew over it every single morning. Right. You know? Right. Is it a uh, um, Charlie Munger? I think that says like, I don't. He's like, I don't ever like sell. I only buy. I, he's like, I basically buy companies mm-hmm. and I don't ever sell. I just buy them and I hold them forever. That's 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 Warren Buffett and Charlie's Warren Buffett, yeah. model. Right, value. So they're Check always almanac right there. <laughs> they're always seeking for the the undervalued company and then pushing them forward and restructuring how those companies do business. And I mean, the they have some amazing wins. Um, I don't know how we're looking on time, but I definitely want to hear uh, some of your like fitness philosophies, nutrition, just general stuff. While Will uh, is reading a book off of my bookshelf right now. Um, <laughs> Or Charlie's Almanac, another great one. So for the readers out there, definitely have uh, have some, have access to that and uh, t- take advantage of the uh, the literature that's out there on on investing on 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 the financial world and in general. Uh, there's some pretty amazing books out there. Uh, I tend to lean more towards the storytelling and. Uh, Do you have any good books? Like, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's, yeah. So let's I mean, resources. So guy. so in terms of <laughs> so these uh, the books that I'm recommending right now are they're all about what has previously happened. So these are massive financial events, and so there's this book by Bill Browder called Red Notice, and oh, it's about the privatization of such a good book. Oh, yeah. Uh, so when the fall I of recommend this book. yeah, it was the fall of the Soviet Union. And the fall of the Iron Curtain, and then the privatization of all of these Russian state-run companies, and and just this amazing story of true, Bill Browder's true story of going over to Russia 
and starting up a fund there and starting to invest and trying to actually purchase these these previously state-run companies and it's just absolutely amazing and it it, it gives you an amazing perspective on the world of business in general um michael lewis of course who has had many of his novels uh turned into movies um liars poker uh by michael lewis is fantastic that's on my list yeah that's a that's a great one and then um flash boys by michael lewis as well flash boys is about the flash crash in 2010 and it's uh the story behind uh these high frequency trading firms and how there was this uh essentially computer assisted crash um i'm not doing that justice with that description but i highly recommend it it's uh it is a fascinating read and it it lifts the veil and i think that that's a big part of 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 finance right is a lot of people are intimidated because they see it as something that they know nothing about and that there's a certain group that knows all of the 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 answers right and so that they're constantly working against it but that's not the case right you need to you, you gotta do what you can to be able to lift that veil that is uh, gone in front of your eyes over the years speaking on that specific point because i think that is so important when it comes to money and like finances and investing is like it's so intimidating. It was super intimidating for me. Uh, do you have any just really basic resources that people could get started on? Yeah, I would highly suggest going through starting on your own, right? Go through the the discount brokerages like Charles Schwab, um, like Merrill, like Bank of America, uh, J.P. Morgan, and Chase Bank just came out with Uvest. Um, and so start out there and start out on their what are called, what are called self-directed platforms. The amount of resources that you're extended is mind-blowing to me. It, it, the, the access that we have now to, to financial literature is, is unprecedented, right? It, it's just never been at the level that it's been. Uh, take advantage of those. I mean, a lot of the time there's, there's, no even a, there's not even a minimum, right? You just go in, log into your bank account, and that option will be there for you to sign up for. And get that going. Start out. Start out with a brokerage account, um, which of course you have to. I'm not even going to go down the taxation road because, of course, that was one thing that I always had to say as an advisor is I can't legally give you tax advice. Always lean on your your tax professionals for that. Um, but do keep in mind that brokerage accounts and retirement accounts experience uh, very different taxations. Um, but open a brokerage account. Um, you can also go through those institutions as well and to open your supplemental retirement vehicles, open your Roth, open your traditional IRA, go through that and uh, start to consume the resources you have available through those types of platforms. And then you can use that to kind of leverage that as a way to start to tiptoe into what that person to person um, type interaction looks like. I think that the more that you know going into the meeting, um, say with a financial professional like an advisor, uh, the better off that you'll be. So do your research beforehand. Don't think that you're going to try and one-up them. Don't think that you're going to impress (laughs) them with your ability to call out stocks or just because you know some definitions, right? That's not what, it's not a competition. That's a, that's another thing that I always would see too, is people would ask for your opinion on, you know, single stocks. And it's just like, that's, that's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to keep you in check. I'm here to um, keep you honest. And so go into it also knowing that. Uh, let your guard down. Um, trust in the process. And and really take the time to get to know uh, who's uh, managing your money. And, and that can be said on both the self-directed side and also on that actual uh, 
human being uh, behind uh, the wealth management. I um, I like how much you've mentioned succession. I think I've been thinking a lot more lately about like legacy. What are mm. you gonna, What are you going to leave for generations of your family? I think when people when you hear a will, you think of like an old person. Right. Yeah. So I'm asking for your opinion, not your advice here, yeah. obviously. But at what age do you think it's necessary to start thinking about writing a will? I wouldn't necessarily put a specific age on it. I mean, we all have experiences in our life where we've lost people super early on, yeah. and we have people that have lived long, long lives, much longer than we ever could have imagined. Um, you really need to start to take that into account when you start to develop the assets right under management um so as soon as you start thinking about your wealth management picture you should definitely start thinking about what it would look like if you were to leave this planet you know that that the very next day right you know where is it going to go think about who your beneficiaries are think about um the different ways on how you would like your what you've accumulated in your financial life uh, to be distributed i think it's also very helpful as, as an exercise to just understand what's of value to you in your your life and so that you're focusing on like what you want to do <clears throat> from like just a hey this is the legacy I want to leave behind not the yeah. money I want to leave behind but yeah. what do I want what mark do I want to leave on in the world yeah you know Everett you bring up a great point too it's also an exercise of who means most to you in your life so you can kind of strip away. Yeah, totally. you, you, I totally. mean, you, you totally can. You can you can strip away the, the you know the the uh, the practice of, of of investing and and kind of the hoarding that you're kind of, to in a sense doing right when you're accumulating assets. And you can take a step back and say, wow, these are the people who mean the most to me in my life, and I would love to be able to pass something that I've built over the years or over whatever the time period is. And it's just, I think it's a healthy exercise in general is to, is to constantly be reevaluating who you consider to be the top of your list. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I think that's great. You had some questions about health and fitness. Well, I mean, I was curious, I think I cut you guys off earlier. You mentioned what supplements you were taking or some products you were using, like, I don't know, just want to casually hear anything that you guys are talking about about that. Creatine. Oh, yeah, All these yeah. supplements, like, yeah. right before we hit record. Totally changing gears here, but yeah, uh, we were talking about, because um, we talked, like, when, when we first right. met, you, we were talking about working out, and I, like, asked you if you were taking any supplements. You're like, no, I'm just taking protein, and then, because that's all I've taken for, like, a long time, because, like, I used to take all those pre-workout supplements, all that kind of stuff, like, back in the day. Take any of it anymore yeah. besides protein. Although I've been really looking at taking, st- starting to take it again just to see what the effects have been because it's been over like at least five, six, seven years since I last took that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, I've, I've definitely gone through my phases, and um, there are certainly a lot of things that you can just get straight up from your diet, right? And so that's that's massively important. Then you can you can truly. Uh, have a, a very successful uh, um, workout regimen without taking those, say, those stimulants. And uh, it's something that I've definitely moved away from in my own practice just because I don't like the feeling of the stimulants. Um, but I have moved back into actually supplementing my diet with things like BCAAs, the branched chain amino acids, um, 
creatine um, and then just a plant-based protein powder. Uh, I personally prefer that over uh, whey. It just is easier for me to metabolize and easier for me to digest and all that. And I just feel so much better as a result of that. And so that's helping to contribute to overall gain of muscle mass and, and, and then uh, those other supplements help to kind of lean things out. And then I do take a non-stimulant pre-workout. And so that helps that? with mental clarity and focus while you're working out. And that's, that's so important when you're lifting, right? It's, you have to go into it with your intention set. And if your mind is wandering while you're working out, we were, yeah. yeah, the, the we mind muscle, muscle connection, connection. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's what it's all about, you know? And I mean, you think about, somebody like Ronnie Coleman, who's in there, I mean, obviously on a totally different scale than us, but you know, just basically making fun of the weight, just lightweight, lightweight and, and, and developing that, that, uh, mental model around it that he could, um, mentally push through what his muscles were telling him that he was, should have stopped, you know? So yeah, that's, that helps for the, the pre-workout I take out kind of helps with keeping me focused, uh, especially I work out after work. So I need a little bit more of that, uh, that focus, oh, especially yeah. after a long day at the office in the, uh, the jungles of Amazon. <laughs> What's in it if there's no stimulants in it? That's a, good, that's a good question. I actually don't know off the top of my head. Um, but uh, I, the company that I buy it through, they offer a, a caffeine as a, essentially something that you can combine with it mm. so that it's non-stimulant, um, but you can, of course, use uh, their caffeine as well to, to make it more of that, uh, have that added stimulus. Um, but yeah, I've, I've found that it's definitely helped me uh, uh, work harder in the gym. But I mean, you asked, uh, my girlfriend is health and wellness coach, and I mean, it, she's all about, you know, what you put in is the majority of what you get out, right? And so uh, I'm you know, very thankful to have that type of influence. I don't always listen to her, which is to, uh, to my own demise, right? And yeah, so she, yeah, yeah, yeah. she's, she's trying to pass along very sound knowledge to me. And, and, and it's difficult, right? It's difficult to change your, your eating habits, just as it's difficult to spend your, or change your spending habits or, or some of the practices that you have in place surrounding your wealth. So yeah, that's why they, those two things kind of couple so well together is because it's all about, you know, staying honest with yourself. And so if you think that you want to go out and grab a couple of cheeseburgers from Shake Shack, I mean, think about the, the repercussions. And of course, I have to go through that, that internal battle uh, a little bit more frequently than I like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got to stay disciplined. You've got to stay regimented. And that's something that's really helped me is I mean, five days a week I'm in the gym after work and it's just, it's become a, in a routine that just can't be interrupted for me. It's a and ritual. Yeah. I mean, uh, I just, as I told you before coming on uh, tonight, I had to go there. And so I, I would get here when I was able to do that. And so thankfully you guys are, you know, very accommodating. And so, uh, but yeah, you have to, you have to say like, Hey, no, nothing is going to interrupt me in this particular area of my life. I'm just going to go through it and then I'll, I'll see you afterwards or whatever. That's important because you make a priority for the things that you value the most in your Right. Yeah, we've had that conversation quite a bit, right? And thinking that sometimes there's some guilt in doing that. I'm going to put something to the side to take care of myself. But I think I've definitely adopted and subscribed to the idea that maybe pushing some things or some people to the side actually ends up 
serving the people around you because you're doing what you know you need to do to make yourself healthy. Yeah. Right. You're offering your best self to all these people. Yeah. That's what we talked about. It's like when you're able to do the things that you enjoy the most, you oftentimes come enter, you come back energized to the people that you enjoy being around the most with a lot more energy because you're able to do those things that you really want to do. Exactly. I mean, you can, you can apply those very same principles to your money too. A lot of the times the things that you don't want to do are what end up costing you the most financially and so you by by pruning and by and removing certain things from your life you'll actually find that that your overall picture starts to look better and better i mean a lot of the times you can think about you know back in maybe it was in college or maybe there's a part of your life when you were all about going out right there's 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 a cost to that right And, and not only are you experiencing that physically but you're also it's hitting your 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 pocketbook your checkbook whatever you want to call it um, and so when you're able to start to realize how some of these behaviors in your life are costing you uh, more than just dollars and cents and they're costing you physically, I think that uh, the two go hand in hand and you start to see that as you're progressing through life and as you're uh, implementing more and more positive practices into your life that you'll start to see that both the health and wealth increase uh, proportionally. Health and wealth. I love health that. and wealth. Health yeah. and wealth. Nourish and flourish. Nourish. Um, I think, uh, I think before we started recording, you were about to say something about like some habits or some maybe supplements that you had learned some lessons about and you avoid now. Yeah. Would you mind touching on any of those? Yeah, no. So, I mean, you know, obviously don't have to name names. It's pretty, pretty well known, uh, at least in the, uh, the fitness world of the, I, I don't even know what you would refer them to them. I mean, they, they're most commonly referred to as pre-workout, right? Mm-hmm. So they have an intense amount of stimulants. And so... I went through the motions and took those in my more formative years, I guess, when I wasn't aware of how, what you're putting into your body is going to, you're going to have to pay, pay for that at some time. And so I experienced heart palpitations. I experienced bouts of really intense anxiety as a result of just pumping these stimulants into my body. And by no means am I talking about steroids or anything. I'm just talking about your off the shelf GNC type products. Did um, you mention C4? Yeah, they I mean, sell that shit at Costco. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I don't do it anymore. But I saw it at Costco yeah. and I was like, oh yeah, maybe I'll try some of this. C four Muscle Farm. Yeah. No Explode. Those are just like the big brands that I can think of off the top. Of it's my like head. right next to the Macadamia Nuts yeah. at like yeah. the Kirkland Costco. <laughs> like, oh yeah, let's <laughs> go get nice and gym today. Yeah. yeah, we got some C four. Let me grab my. Yeah, it's called C four for a yeah. reason. Yeah. It is. It blow you up. Yeah, just like what no explode. Yeah. I mean, the, the what you're getting visually and the branding there is very intentional. Yeah. It's like I'm going to be so jacked up for my workout now, and so yeah, and a lot it, it it works. It works. It works. It but works. you have to think about what life looks like after you're you're ingesting that for long periods yeah. of times and the the physical ramifications of of that continued use. And so for me that was something that I had to reevaluate. And so I removed uh, those types of stimulants from my regimen and I was personally able to see much better results and I just felt so much better. That's actually super interesting now that I think about it. I have a few friends who I've seen like using C4 like on their Instagram stories in the last few weeks. I almost want to like hit them up and be like, you know, like what can maybe be happening? <laughs> I think but it's okay I in think, moderation. Well, yeah, that's what sure. I was going to ask about because obviously heart palpitations, like huge deal. But you mentioned anxiety. Did that come from prolonged use? Was that yeah. on the daily basis? Prolonged use, yeah. It was, uh, 
it was, you know, you're creating a chemical imbalance, you know, I'm not even going to pretend to be an expert, but I, I know how my body reacted to it. And so that's the, the, uh, the information that I go off of. And so, uh, and that's something that's also well documented in, in, uh, in just health studies nowadays is that, you know, people that overconsume on caffeine and, and stimulants of that nature experience, uh, more and more anxiety as they go along. And, uh, yeah, so for me, that was absolutely true, you know, and, you know, you take that for what you will. Um, but yeah, that was uh, something that I personally found to be a, my own version of hell, right. To, to, to be in that state, that anxious state, that just tense ball of, of just unknowing and, and, and the self doubt that comes along with it and, and just the behaviors that it drives. I was, had to eliminate it from my my life and it's like I still consume caffeine you know I'm not gonna sit here and say that I don't you know indulge in the occasional energy but drink three, but I yeah. remember being on like I remember being at my peak like three, <laughs> my peak. Like three let's go like yeah three scoops of nose yeah. no explode in my drink before work I'm like and I it was you did that at rehab I remember that <laughs> I never did no explode rehab you did something before we'd go sometimes maybe that was C4 I mean, that was around the time I was doing it too. Not that it really matters yeah. for the sake of this um, conversation. And the important thing to mention too is like this is on top of your your overall daily consumption yeah. too. So you've already probably had coffees yeah. or you maybe you've had energy jinx or whatever. So yeah. like, this is just stacking on to an already an issue internally. That's a good point. I told like multiple, I told a lot multiple people just like, I could just take three scoops of like a pre-workout and like just go out for the night. And I'd be good. <laughs> I don't need anything else. Nice. Yeah, you don't even need the, the booger like, sugar. You're, no, it's not. <laughs> you're, you're ridiculous. It's insane. What are uh, what are your favorite things to do in the gym? Um, I really have uh, take to more of the full body training. Mm-hmm. So I actually use, I feel like talking about apps and just plugs all day long um but uh, this it's app i use, use yeah it's yeah it's real yeah. it's, like, it's yeah. real but i use this app called fitbod and you're able to do all these great baselines and and essentially uh get this great profile built out of your current strength and then it builds out your your lifts and it targets uh certain muscle groups based on those muscle groups depletion throughout the work the work week as oh. you would call it the workout week um, so it's fantastic. So it'll, it'll, ha- it has its own, um, uh, algorithms in place to be able to determine what muscle groups it's coupling, uh, together in a daily workout. And then you set time limits, uh, you set your overall, uh, fitness experience and then kind of what your overall goal is behind the lifts. Right. And so mine's currently on strength and conditioning. And so you find that you're starting to introduce more and more cardio and, and more and more sets as opposed to just like very heavy, uh, yeah. lower, lower rep, lower Three set type lifts. Yeah. yeah. When you were playing, uh, hockey, um, competitively, what, what's a hockey workout like? I have, huh. I have no idea what a That's hockey workout That's a great question. Yeah. Like. I, I have no idea. I mean, the, the, the saying, you know, the legs feed the wolves. I mean, that is so true for hockey players and a lot of the times you'll see hockey players with a a bit more of a slender upper body but just absolute tree trunks for legs i mean that's that's what pays pays the dividends right there is your ability to uh your lower body strength is massively important so you know outside of the on ice practices you know we'd have dry land training and so a lot of that was you know squats deadlifts i mean you name a lot of just focus on the lower body but of course you can't neglect 
the the upper body as well so um, a lot to do with uh, your just kind of overall core strength as well uh, that, that would be able to kind of get you out of the different situations you might find yourself on the ice and the battles that you'll find yourself in um, yeah. but yeah it's a, it's always interesting to see the new types of workouts that are being introduced I mean you look at today's uh, NHL as compared to uh, the years prior I mean it's a different breed of athlete I mean they're much leaner smaller faster um, as opposed to being these big lunking guys that kind of just went around and, and absolutely mm. destroyed one another. I was going to ask, because I feel like every other sport's the opposite. Yeah. You know? or not every, but like the big four here seem opposite. People are getting bigger, yeah. stronger. Well, Sorry, generally, I mean, generally, we're I mean, we're still talking about large human beings, sure, right? Yeah. They're they're professional athletes for a reason. But I mean, you have you have individuals that are playing in today's NHL that it just would have seemed crazy that they were even a, a professional athlete back in you know even in the early 2000s you would have said that that person's too small they're not big enough they're not tough enough mm -hmm. and so now there's just a, a more of an emphasis on on the skill and the finesse and and a lot of the times these are a bit smaller of a, of a player but none i mean the the their fitness levels are are just yeah. out of this world right these they're by no means are they slacking i mean they're just a different sure. breed yeah where did you? Sorry, I interrupted you twice, but we should have mentioned this at the beginning. Where did you, Where did you play? You said you played. At yeah, so I mean, I played. I mean, I played all the all through uh, uh, my young years, all the way from Adams, all the way up through midgets, and so that takes you basically from. What, These are hockey terms that we don't know. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I, I th I'm hearing like Sandy Koufax from like baseball, <laughs> yeah. like some stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, well, you can start playing Adams when you're like three or four yeah. years old, and then midgets end at what's called U18. <laughs> I was thinking, I was thinking midgets yeah. was like, like yeah. your age six. Yeah. Like, yeah. So is, it, that, is that common across yeah. the U.S.? That's U.S. and Canada. Terms, yeah, terms U.S. Like and Canada. This? And then they have uh, the junior leagues that are then uh, the, the feeder leagues for uh, eventually the, the professional leagues. And, and then, of course, the NCAA. Um, so I myself never played juniors. I sustained a couple of injuries. Uh, in my last few years of playing comp hockey before I ended up playing club hockey in college uh, that took me on a different route. But yeah, that's, I mean, you could, these kids are starting so early at 15, 16 years old. I mean, you're leaving home to go and play sometimes in, in Canada, sometimes in you know, different parts of the U S and uh, the, it, it's an amazing culture for sure. Speaking of hockey, I read the book. Oh my God, I'm blanking on it. Um, Anyways, um, let me look it up. Anyways, I'll just go for it. Um, they, he talks about birthdays mm. and how birthdays are really Huge. relevant to sports yeah. success. Mm. And he talks about how people's hockey players, specifically, the age cutoff was like December 31st versus January 1st. So I think if you were born, the later in the year you were born, the more screwed you over you were for mm -hmm. your age bracket. So of the babies who are born like January, then coinciding, um, um, coinciding February and March, are, that is the biggest bracket of NHL players' birthdays in the, in the, in the NHL. And like the farther you go in the year, the less um, prevalent NHL players are in the league. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's an amazing thing. 
to uh, to consider, and then also something that is is uh, completely out of your control, but your actual birth year, right? Some some of these birth years were so unbelievably stacked, and you just got lost, right? Yeah. And it 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 stunted your development because there was just a surplus of great players, right? Um, whereas some of the birth years they might not have had as many great players and you were able to be showcased a, a little bit differently. And so we play what's called selects uh, and this is for US players. And so you would be able to try out for uh, your regional select teams. And so, and it was went by birth here. And so you could have been completely, you know, overshadowed by a, a large group of guys. Uh, you know, for me, I'm 89. So the 89s and not, and Alaska just absolutely stacked. My little brother is a 90 and he had a little bit different experience and he was able to kind of progress a bit farther. And of course that obviously has to do with skill and what have you, but still uh, there's definitely a lot to be said about just the overall population within these birth years too. So, I mean, it's amazing. And yeah, all, you know, all the boys who refer to each other, you know, by their birth year a lot of the times too, you know, it's, really? yeah, I mean, it's some, you know, it's kind of a part of your identity. Are you a 90, 91? Like now you have guys that are 2000s, you know, that are in the NHL, right? 18 years old. It's the same way in club soccer old. around here. It's part of the team name, you know? Yeah. Like cross really? 89, stuff like that. Yeah. Interesting. The comment I was going to say, back, coming back to working out, was did the enforcers just work on bench presses so that they could really check people really, really well? <laughs> did they work on bench press more than other people? I mean, the enforcers, like, I mean, they box, you know, outside the, the gym, you know, and that's just, their job was just to get it get down in uh anytime the the other teams you know best lines are out there or something you you, you know you had to protect your your yeah. star players and so if you were ever to touch star players chances are next the very next line that's going out is going to be that enforcer line and so you're guaranteed to fight back in the day but now it's uh fighting is definitely becoming a uh, dying practice in the nhl and I, I mean a lot of it has to do with just head trauma and head related or brain related injuries but yeah it's a different I'm breed i'm sure you've watched the movie dune yeah oh, God, <laughs> it's been a while that movie is great yeah that's not what you would refer to as like a good hockey movie no but not hilarious. even yeah but it's hilarious it's yeah it's what is hilarious. a good hockey movie Besides I mean, Mighty Ducks, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Miracle. I mean, Miracle is oh, yeah. awesome. Um, I mean, but these, of course, you know, these are just still wildly inaccurate, at least in yeah. my assessment. But I mean, it's a depiction. It's a depiction of, of a historical event. For, for but I mean, yeah. when you when you look at it just like pure hockey, it's it's pretty cool. Um, I mean, something that's just like funny ones, right? Mystery Alaska. If you've ever haven't seen that with Russell Crowe and Burt Reynolds, I mean, that's Ooh, a, that's a great watch. Mystery Alaska. Oh man, you got like you got to watch it. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's just hilarious. I mean, we're having movie night on the Life Lab podcast yeah. here coming up. It's a <laughs> bring your bring your blades. These it's a, it's about these guys up in literally Mystery Alaska, even though it was filmed in I think Canmore, Alberta, or something Probably, along those lines. Yeah. Typical. Uh, the Alaska never actually gets a, it's a beautiful scenery filmed uh, in these big pictures uh, but these guys just play against one another in the town and so the the, the townspeople pick the pick the guys who go up and get to play in the, uh, the Sunday game um, and yeah and then they get some uh, some attention and the New York Rangers come up to play them on the the big pond. Uh, and they say that nobody can skate with them up there because you know you'll have to watch the movie. Yeah, it's great. Noted. Down <laughs> to the list. It sounds really entertaining. Yeah, cheap entertainment for sure. Like it's, it's good stuff. 
I think this has been good. Super yeah. good. Anything else you want to add? Uh, I mean, just kind of to put a bit of a bow on it. I mean, just make sure that you're you're staying very aware of uh, of your your situations. Like I was saying, the the inflows, the outflows. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with the the people who you choose to include in the your life that impacts you financially, personally. Um, really carry that on. And if you're wanting to um, look into utilizing a financial professional, you still have to apply those same very same principles. You know, be open and be honest. Um, make sure that you give them all the pieces. It's uh, massively important to your success and and just leverage your resources nowadays. I mean, it's it's amazing what we have at our fingertips and and how you can start investing from your phone. That's just yeah, an amazing thing to think about. Uh, and again, not even trying to date myself or anything like that, but I mean, 29 years old is is not exactly what you call you know, old and wizened, but uh, um, it certainly has changed in our lifetime. So take advantage of all of the technological advancement. Um, start putting that money to work and start to uh, leverage your banking institutions, start to uh, talk to the people around you too. I think that that's a, that's a, something that's really uh, crucially important is talk to your friends about it. You know, let's, let's try to make this not such a taboo subject. There's this, I probably should have mentioned this, uh, this earlier in the, in the podcast, but there definitely is this negative stigma around uh, talking about finances with your friends and family. And I personally, I don't see, why it should be that way? Why? Why should it? Why should we have to hide that about ourselves? I mean, there's no need to be braggadocious or or to to constantly be telling your friends if you're more successful than them or whatever. No, but just be honest with them. Talk about it because a lot of the times you'll find that you'll learn so much from the people around you and about their spending habits and about practices they put in place. I mean, I personally would like to see us have more open conversations surrounding our uh, practices with our monies and just just overall financial picture. I think your story about your dad, you know, is super powerful because that's the flip side mm -hmm. of of the stigma. It's like this is why we should be talking about it exactly. more openly with more people because you just never know when your kind of lack of talking about it is going to affect everybody around you. Well, yeah, you start to you start to internalize it, right? And then you start to only be having these conversations in your own mind. And you're like, wow, when did I stop paying attention? Really? Because if if you're if the dialogue is only internal, then it's going to be consumed by other things that are happening in happening in your life. And I personally think that that was kind of what happened to my dad was that he, you know, he started to talk less and less about it and then he started to have to internalize those uh those immense pressures too that it puts you under you need to be able to share with people you need to be able to to ask for help you know there's the that saying you know don't drown quietly and i think that that is is extremely applicable to uh your financial health it is is make sure that you have an advocate there for you somebody to help you along the pathway and whether that maybe it's just a friend for you maybe it's a significant other or maybe you're actually getting to formalize that relationship and going for a financial professional just talk to somebody, you know. We had an interesting or a, a similar conversation about therapy and the stigma mm -hmm. around therapy. Um, asking for help is a motion of strength, yeah. I think. Uh, but there, I think, especially with males, there's an idea that you want to do it all by yourself. Yeah. You don't want to ask for help. You're admitting that you don't know something or maybe you have something to learn. So I like that theme that you've you've had kind of repeatedly throughout the podcast right i mean and i mean to establish independence i mean you have to you have to take 
these learnings from your life. And the only way that you're going to be able to do that is through other people's and through educational materials, you name it, but it's through interaction, right? You're not going to be able to do it all yourself. It's a very, very rare breed that everything kind of just comes naturally, right? And we're not going to sit here and pretend like that's, you know, really any of us or even any of the audience of this podcast. I mean, really just get engaged with the people around you and, and, and ask for help. It is a sign of strength. It's not a sign of weakness. And if you think it is, then not gonna be very agreeable <laughs> well then you're probably right you're not gonna ever get anything done yeah or accomplish yeah, anything. yeah so yeah exactly yeah. it's kind of the point of this podcast is exposing everybody to new ideas you know that's why we got started you said you're into joe rogan you know yeah you, know, you can learn something every day so yeah that's what we're doing here so appreciate you coming on and making yeah, time yeah thanks no thank you guys both so much i mean i think that uh what you're bringing to your listeners just to our little slice of the world here is is uh, hugely important, and I think that we need to continue having these these open dialogues and uh, definitely not being afraid to have difficult conversations. So I really appreciate you giving me the time. Definitely. Where can people find you if they do want to find you? Hey, let's go. <laughs> what the socials like? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'm not all that active on social media, uh, but I mean, I still have my Instagram, so my I believe my handle is just my name, Andrew Trepto, uh, T-R-E-P-T-O-W, last name. Um, also give a shout out to uh, my significant other. Uh, her handle is Ashley Carlson Co. Uh, she actually has a very large following um, and she is in the business of health and wellness coaching. So should you ever find yourself in need, uh, definitely reach out to her. She's got a lot of great material on her Instagram and her social medias. So yeah. We should have both of you guys back on. Yeah, we should. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I mean, she. I know she would love to. She's uh, she's always looking for a, a platform in order to uh, to spread her teachings. She's gone through the formal education um, of it all, and then of course has experienced a lot herself. So yeah. I think it'd be a, a great story to hear. That we would fun. love to expose her to our Instagram following of about one hundred people. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> she maybe but, she uh, could get pass along some teachings yeah, as, yeah. in how yeah. to cultivate your social yeah. media following too, because I think that. she's. Somewhere, I mean, eight thousand plus. I think she's yeah, at now. Awesome. So yeah, she's got a she got a, a cool audience. That's, that's a journey. Awesome. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks, Andrew. Appreciate cool. it. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening. Life Lab signing out. Life Lab, we love you. <laughs>